Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, church family, for gathering here today as we uh, stoke the the fires of gratitude this, this season, and what a wonderful time of year just to fix our eyes on our Lord and, and worship Him. Today's a big day for several reasons, but one, we have the opportunity to help launch a new mission team. So several months ago, uh, we had the resources to uh, add to our church planting team, and so we began to pray, Lord, lead us to a family who is headed to a part of the world where they need the gospel, where they need churches. Monday morning, someone knocks on our door here at church. This normally doesn't happen. Normally, it's a, a call, an email, something. But someone knocks on the door. Uh, Kyle's here, so he meets the, the gentleman. And they go out to, to coffee and come to find out this is a missionary family on the runway and uh, from, sent from a sister church, College Park here in Indianapolis. We, uh, we went ahead and uh, let our church planting team know, Bo Humphrey and team, did the vetting process and realized this is a fit. And today we have the opportunity to uh, welcome and help support the Watkins family, Nathan and Jackie and kids on their mission. So would you join me in welcoming Nathan as he comes to share. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be with you, and I want to just thank you again for partnering with us to take the gospel to Thailand. Um, and it was unusual. This is the only church where it's played out that way. I, I think it's the only church where I just stopped in and um, to, to knock and see if there was an opening. So um, it really was the Lord's leading, I believe. Uh, so we are Nathan and Jackie Watkins. Uh, we have four kids, Nathan, Tyler, Hannah, and Ezra. Uh, Nathan is 11, Tyler 9, Hannah is 7, and Ezra is 5. I grew up in uh, mostly in the Ivory Coast, West Africa. My grandparents uh, were missionaries initially in Liberia. They left in 1959. uh, And so my dad was born and raised uh, in in Liberia. And then when they went back to the field, um, had to flee during a civil war. And we wound up working with the same people group, uh, in this area called San Pedro in Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, and, and so I grew up in a missionary family, but I was in a missions conference that my grandfather was speaking in when he gave an invitation saying, is the Lord uh, leading you to serve him in missions? And if so, would you come forward? Well, I didn't come forward at that time, but that was, um, that was when I initially sensed the Lord leading me to missions. And then growing up overseas, I saw over and over again how little access there was to the gospel, and the Lord just used my experiences to reaffirm that calling, and, and I um, had that clarity really since I was quite young. Um, there's some more pictures of my grandfather, and here's a, <laughs> a quintessential uh, African missionary photo with a chimpanzee in the, in the basket and a, a baby in a diaper, but uh, it was really a great experience growing up in Africa. But especially because my parents did a great job of incorporating us into the ministry and giving us a sense of um, vision for missions and for the lost. My wife Jackie uh, grew up in Brownsburg. Her grandfather was the longtime pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church. 
Uh, and we actually got to know each other because my parents moved up so my dad could take helicopter training. Uh, the, mission, the mission in Liberia had acquired a helicopter so they could reach into some of the more remote villages. Um, and so he came up for that training, ended up in my uh, in-laws young marrieds class. And that's actually a picture of me at my wife's baby shower. So <laughs> um, as I said before in the first service, we, don't, we joke that it wasn't exactly an arranged marriage, but it was uh, pretty close. So um, especially with her, her grandmother was instrumental in, in trying to get us together. Uh, Jackie also sensed the Lord leading her to missions during a missions conference as uh, a child of about 10 years old. And um, the Lord kind of was leading us in the, that direction um, individually before we even met. At, shortly after we were married, uh, so we dated through high school and then got married partway through college, we moved right, so, shortly after we married to Northern Ireland to help a small church start a uh, children's ministry, and then we ended up helping Word of Life uh, with camps and VBSs around the UK. Uh, when we came back, we ended up in Virginia for a little while, and there we had the privilege of leading, uh, starting and leading a singles ministry at our church. Uh, and really, the Lord just taught us so much during that time about ministering to people, having really open hearts and an open home, and, and inviting people in. Well, it's a long story of how the Lord led us to Thailand, so I don't have time for that. But I just want to give you a few details about Thailand and the ministry there. Uh, so Thailand's in Southeast Asia, situated right between uh, Myanmar or Burma on the west, and Laos and Cambodia on the east. It's a pretty good-sized country, so if you superimposed it over the U.S., it would stretch from the upper northwest or upper Midwest all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and covers most of the Midwest. There are about 70 million people in Thailand, um, and the area we'll be focusing on is a region called Isan. It's the whole northeast. Uh, it's about the size of Ohio, uh, and it's a very agricultural rural area, uh, so the population is very spread out throughout the region. Uh, it's about 85% of people work in agriculture, mostly small family farms, very economically depressed and quite poor uh, and really quite desperate. Uh, so it's a source of a, a lot of human trafficking comes from this area really worldwide. Um, Thailand as a whole is very unreached, very needy, um, really needs the gospel. But Isan within Thailand is the, is the most unreached region. Um, this map... This is an area about the size of Ohio. 22 million people live here. Um, and it's very spread out throughout the region. And those, all of that red area are sub-districts where there is no church. That means there is, the people in this area um, as a whole will probably never meet a Christian, never see a church. The, the green dots are not places that are reached. It just means there's at least one church in that sub-district. So the vast majority of the population of Isan will be born, live, and die, and never hear the gospel. Um, that's, it, Thailand, there, there are 550,000 people a year who are dying without the gospel um, and, and going to hell. And so our, our goal is to bring um, the hope of, of Christ to this nation. Uh, we're going to be focusing on evangelism, church planting, and training up uh, Thai pastors. So thank you so much. Uh, it's been a joy to be with you. And if you see, see us out in the hall afterwards, we'd love to share with you some of the praises and the way God has blessed along the way. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan and Jackie.
and exciting. They're, uh, they're on the runway. December, this December is when they'll be headed to uh, Thailand. So I want to be covering them in prayer and just encouraging them in their journey. Also today is a, a special day or special weekend is we remember those who, who have uh, sacrificed and served to provide the freedom that we enjoy as a nation and we, as we honor our veterans. And I thought it'd be good this morning within our church family just to take a moment and have our, uh, those of you who have served in our military, would you be willing to stand and can acknowledge and thank you? There was a, a love big moment happening within our, one of our small groups in the context of honoring veterans that I thought I, I just need to share with you. It was so good. Where uh, Jay Rasmussen is in Rick and Kathy Baker's small group. Jay learned of the honor flight that was uh, this October, took a group of veterans to Washington, D.C., and they spent a day at the memorials and then came back and, and uh, gathered a, in Plainfield High School's gym with family and friends just to, to welcome them home. And, and so Jay made that happen for Rick. And some pictures, Larry Myers was there taking these pictures. And uh, you can see Jay's holding up Rick's sign when he was in the military. But Rick uh, graduated from the Air Force Academy and Lieutenant Colonel Vietnam. He uh, flew C-130s, among, I'm sure other planes. He has some stories of, of God's faithfulness to him. But as we watch this play out, as Tam and I we're able to be there as well and just see these veteran after veteran come in, especially surrounded by their families. And, um, and many of these, especially in the Vietnam era, not receiving a, a warm welcome home. It was moving. And just that reminder of um, we have uh, much to be thankful for and um, our veterans are, are worthy of our honor and thanks. And just to, uh, just want to say again, thank you and we have been blessed and through people who have sacrificed. The, uh, also, wanted to just preview next Sunday. And we next Sunday launches Thanksgiving week. For us as a church family, it's our Thanksgiving celebration where we just um, come before the Lord. We're planning a special time of worship. We'll have some special snacks in the gym, Thanksgiving-themed. Uh, um, but it's also that time we... we um, if you're a part of our church family, it's a tradition. We, we bring our Thanksgiving offering to fuel a variety of ministries that are um, compassion ministries, but also taking the gospel throughout the world. And we have a, uh, a slide that we've, we've shared the past couple weeks, but I'll just highlight the, the uh, church plant piece of this. Local church planting, we will be able to, through the Thanksgiving offering, or, or hoping to help a church in Lebanon that's revitalized them and then a church in Greenwood that's a church plant of about seven years but needs some help. And then Plant Indy is an organization of about 15 churches who are looking in the Indiana region or the Midwest or really, yeah, Indianapolis region. Where, where's the next church to plant? And so we'll be a part of, of that next church plant and helping to fund that. And then on the, the global side, the open initiative in, in the Caribbean, this is the, uh, the Open is this initiative through ABWE, an organization that's seeking to um, go after seven unreached people groups over the next seven years, and this will be a part of that. And so we'll get to play a part in taking the gospel to where it's not. So thank you for your part in that. Excited 
about that. We have been blessed in so many ways to be a blessing, and just neat to see that happening in real time through you, through our church family as, as we serve and, and give. So go ahead and uh, pray and then dig into our text. Father, we do just continue our worship, hearts overflowing with gratitude for all that you've given us. And as we remember and honor our veterans today, Lord, we thank you for each one of them and just pray um, that they would sense uh, our appreciation and love. We pray protection and blessing over our nation, Lord, and, and uh, we know that you have blessed us as a nation, but we, we, uh, we feel the threat of disunity and, and uh, evil from without, but also evil from within, and so we just pray that you would continue to bless our nation. We thank you for the Watkins family, Lord, and as they prepare to launch, we just pray your empowering grace would, would uh, fuel them and guide them and encourage them every step of their journey. And Lord, today as we come to your word, we thank you for it and just pray that you would do what only you can do through your word, uh, morphing us little by little into the image of Christ. And so we just thank you for, for the work you're going to do, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this uh, fall, we have been, or really year, we've been, our theme is Chasing Humility. The fall message series is Sweet Sanity humility in motion. And today's text, just to give a heads up, is especially potent in that it's, I, I keep uh, seeing like, you know, when you buy some, whatever, pick your thing, detergent that's concentrated, you just put a little drop in and it's good. It's like, this is one of those texts in God's word, because when this truth comes alive in a human soul, hits a culture, it, it's powerful to transform that culture. And where it's aimed is how we see, it's fundamentally aimed to change the way we see people. So how we see those around us, this text is going at that. So, question, what was it about Jesus that drew people to him? What, what was it that attracted people to him, and especially people who were not in the upper echelon of, of society? What was it that, that drew people to him? Next question, do you remember a time you walked into an uncomfortable social setting, or you felt the uncomfortable sensation as you walked into a social setting, and you felt the stares and the, the, the looks, and you realized, I'm being measured, I'm being judged, I'm being evaluated, and I don't think I'm measuring up. <laughs> remember that just sensation that you feel? And I immediately, my mind immediately goes to middle school or high school. I think we all have moments or walking into the school cafeteria on the first day or the, the middle school dance or pick your thing in, in middle school, really. I was talking with Tam about this yesterday, and we remembered a moment where we were in student ministry in Wisconsin and went to a football game to support one of our students, and it was at a very conservative Christian school. It was back in the day, like early 2000s, but the dress code at this school was dresses for ladies. And, and, but we're thinking football game, Tam's wearing jeans to this event, and oh baby, we, we walked in and the stands, you could just see the, the, the moms looking her up and down, and she did not make the cut. It was some stairs coming her way, and even our friend was a, our super friendly guy, and he introduced us to the principal of the school, and even the principal would not look at her, like she was not worthy of his gaze or his attention based on this value of, of what she was wearing. 
The, uh, so have you been there? I think we, we all have. And um, just, just feel, do you remember that sensation? Just uncomfortable. Are you, can you feel that? Okay, now, next question. Contrast that with the moment that you walked into a social setting where you felt completely accepted, loved, welcomed to the point that you just could drop your guard and totally be you. It does not matter what you're wearing, what, how you're looking, or even what crazy thing you say. You just say what comes to your mind. In fact, you are so welcomed and loved by these people, not only are you worried about, not worried about, um, you know, not hitting some trend, they make you feel like you're the trendsetter. <laughs> you remember recently a, a moment like that? Anyone, anyone coming to mind? I was um, remembering... I had written down a time when Jesse, our daughter, was six years old, and we had gone, we were in a new, uh, had gone to be with some friends that we had just met, new social setting for her, and she just closed up, did not say really anything that night, but the moment we walk into our home, our little girl came alive, and it was talk, 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 and she's just um, laughing, and just, it was like a flower uh, blossoming, and I thought, what a great picture of the difference between an area that, or a culture where you feel safe and, and one that you feel measured, evaluated, or, or unsafe. So here's the, the beautiful reality, guys. I think most of us know, but just to bask in this morning, Jesus came to create a family that's like the latter, where we are safe, we are welcomed, we are radically accepted, valued. Um, and, and then he looks at us as his followers and he says, okay, not only do I, have you experienced this, but I want you to be active in creating this kind of community. God's intention, his passion is for us to be transformed, to see people the way he sees them, to see them as valuable. Every person, where we're not measuring, we're not valuing making value judgments, but we're loving and we're accepting. And I think most of us would say, you know, hey, we're all at church today. You got up, you came. You're, you're a, most of us would say, I'm a pretty loving person. I, I'm not, you know, I can grow in it, but I'm, I'm pretty loving. So I'm good with that, John. We, we got this. To which James would say, let's talk a little bit more about this. And, and he, he gets up in our grill a bit again today. James chapter two, verse one. Where he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And so the sweet sanity or the challenge of the day, and, and this is where we're, we're, God is calling us to, to think differently is this, like Jesus, to see everyone as important. This first verse is really the, the imperative of the text. It's the main thing. It's the big idea. Sweet sanity is seeing the person in front of you as the Lord sees them. The insanity of pride is assigning value to a person or with, withholding value based on what we value as, as we look at the people around us. So that some people we value as deserving our time, our attention, our, our respect, and other people not as much so. Favoritism or partiality is seeing some people as important and others not as, as important. 
because they have more or less of what we would value. And here what James is, and God through James is calling us to or is saying is, favoritism has no place in the heart of a Christ follower. The English translation misses a little bit of, of what's really neat in the Greek. If, if you read, if you just lay this out as it is in the Greek, it's this, the literal translation is this, brothers and sisters, without favoritism, hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. And as I looked at that study, I'm like, why does James, it, it's the glory. He, he just puts, like, favoritism has no place in the, as we live out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. And then you see it. Like, I think what he's saying is, we have seen the glory of the Lord, right? And in what way have we seen the glory? In, in the way that he did not see us with favoritism. It's in his humility where when he looks at you and looks at me and looks at the people, and as he did life, we saw his glory in his humility and the way that, that he did not measure and make value judgments the way we do as we see one another. Why were people drawn to our Lord, especially those labeled sinners on the fringe of society? When he looks at us, when he looked at people, he saw them as valuable, all of them. And that's the challenge for us today, like Jesus, to see everyone as important. He's not measuring us or um, the way that we measure one another. He's seeing us as um, valuable people to be loved. It leaves us asking, okay, what does he value in us? As he looks at us, what, and, and how, what do we value as we look at the people around us? Well, number one, he created us as a unique, um, in his image, uniquely to, cre- to reflect his glory in a way that only we can. So, and, and that's just beautiful to think about as we interact with all the people around us. There is no one like you, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God to reflect the glory of God in a way that only you can. No one else is like you. And as you parents, you think about your kids, and they're all uniquely created to, to reflect God's glory. And, and we value them, don't we, in that? But also, he values us in that he created us for a love relationship with him where we come alive in his presence and taste the joy that that can only be found in this relationship with him. It's just overwhelming to think that, that God doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you passionately. Such that, that he would come after you and me, even as sinners, and, and lay down his life for us um, while we were sinners. This is our God, this is our King, and this is how he sees you and sees me. Jesus doesn't see rich, poor, weak, strong, famous, or infamous. He sees one that he loves, and so must we. Where do we see the glory of the Lord? We see it in the way. That, uh, that he sees us. With him, there is no favoritism. And I love just coming back and, and watching him live and moment after moment. But one of the, the moments where this really stands out is, okay, his enemies notice this quality or this virtue about him, and they, they even use it to bait him. Do you remember that moment where they're like, okay, if we can, he doesn't care who anybody is. He's not measuring according to the world. So let's trick him into 
uh, disrespecting the emperor, and he'll get himself in trouble with him. And so uh, it's over there in Matthew chapter 22. Actually, all the gospel writers record it. It, it sticks. But he says, Matthew 22, verse uh, 15, 16, Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Isn't that great? And then they try to trick him and he, he, uh, he hops out of their trap. But he picks his disciples. And do you remember these core people, these core guys are going to take the mission and go. And, and who does he pick? Are these guys, would they make a who's who's list in terms of, According to the ways, no, they're, they're really a bunch of nobodies. But once they get onto the team, what do they start doing? Showing favoritism or partiality, especially towards the younger, the kids. The kids are coming to Jesus, and the disciples are out in front saying, hey, he didn't have time for you. And then his reaction is one of, it's pretty strong, no, bring the kids to me. And then in our Lord's uh, moment of greatest humiliation, where he's naked on a cross, suffering, of all the times that, that you would want to, feel like boosting yourself up. He looks over and is having a conversation with a thief who is a nobody of nobodies. And, but that thief, he's not seeing a thief or a, a bum. He's seeing a guy he loves, and he leads um, that thief to, to faith in him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's our king. It's the one we follow So the sweet sanity that, that Luke or that I, James is leading us into is this. The challenge of the day. Like Jesus to see everyone that I'm interacting with as important. So this means we stop measuring people as the world measures them with all the things that we, we value, stuff, status, uh, success. When we look at one another, we're no longer seeing titles, accomplishments. We're seeing someone to love. We're seeing a person who is a one-of-a-kind creation, a, a God's treasure and a treasure to us as well, someone to love, made in the image of God, to which we say, okay, James, I, I'm hearing you. I, I got it, and uh, we can move on. Next subject, and James is like, let's hang out here a little longer. Let, let's dig in and, and go a little deeper Verses 2 to 4, we see favoritism exposed. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man comes, uh, poor man in filthy clothes come, also comes in. So they come into church. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, or you say to the poor man, you sit over there, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And so favoritism exposed here is seeing some as more important than others. I was trying to think about in our own culture, who, who would we all know and want to pay special attention to if they walked into our worship time this morning? Is there anyone coming to your mind? I, I was thinking about locally our uh, Colts dilemma and just how, okay, we hired Jeff Saturday and, and good to have him back. But what does the hiring of Jeff Saturday do is really birth a hope in us that the sheriff, Peyton Manning, will come back next year and coach our, uh, our Colts back to out of the, the depths of despair. So Peyton Manning, what if Peyton walked in this morning to our 
into our fellowship. Man, I'm pretty sure he, he would get our attention. He would have all of our attention, and we'd be showing him the donuts and coffee and then saying, here, you take the best seat in the house, which in our church is the back seat. You, you can have that back row. Stretch out on it. <laughs> so I was thinking about just walking through my everyday life and just interactions. It, it occurred to me, favoritism is just in us, isn't it? You don't have to, we don't have to be taught to value some and, and devalue others. And then you think, what's at the heart of it? Like, why do I do that? And you peel it back, and it, it's the desire to elevate self, isn't it? It's pride. Why would we show favor to a rich person? Because we, if we desire money, we get a cut of that. Why would we show favor to a popular person or a person of social standing? It's, hey, man, if, we're, if we value social standing, we can get a cut of that if we're close to them. Or... And it left me asking, what, what tempts me, what tempts you to show favor to some over others? Is it money? Is it talent? Is it power? Intellect or education? Career? house? Is it age? Um, race? Gender? And as you think about your interactions this week, just as you went about your, your day, who are the people that your attention was drawn to? And, and then who are the people that you uh, didn't make the radar, just fly by? convicting, isn't it, as you think about the thoughts that we have and, and really the, 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 uh, the reality that favoritism is often part of our, our thought process, and it, it, it's convicting that um, it often goes unnoticed. It's almost like it's so deep we, we hardly notice it, and it leaves us asking, how do we change then? God's given us his word so that we might change, but, but how do we change? And what's neat, James takes us into, he, he keeps going on it, and I think he's helping us change in that he's showing us the insanity of favoritism. And I picture it as a, you know, in a, I don't know if they still do this these days, but when you take a big hit on a football field and get a little foggy in the head, they would give you smelling salts with concussion protocol these days, or probably don't do that anymore. But back in the day... And smelling salts would kind of wake you up and, and bring you back. And it's almost like he's given us three smelling salt talks to bring us back out of the, the fog of, of favoritism. And so the first one there is in verse uh, 5 and 6. It's this, the smelling salt talk one is favoritism is ignoring the reality of what God did for, for you or for us. Verse 5, he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, he loves them. And he says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? to be rich in faith, and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. So here James is saying, guys, look around. First century church, first Corinthians, we see Paul doing the same thing. How many of us are on the who's who in society? <laughs> and the reality was there, there wasn't many. You know, it was often the more poor class. The um, God chose, is choosing without favoritism us, so the insanity is why would, we're, we're, it's like we're missing the, what he's done for us as we begin to show favoritism to the people around us. And, and so 
It's irrational. He's like a sort of insanity, not seeing our own reality. The second smelling salt that we see there in verses 6 and 7, it's uh, the this one is favoritism is making us, makes us blind to who is really for us or against us. And he says this, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones uh, blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So here James is, is like, hey, guys, why are you showing favoritism to the rich person when they're the ones that are hurting you, dragging you into court, uh, oppressing you? And even blaspheming, blaspheming the name of Christ. And then you're ignoring the people who are in your corner. And this is irrational. It's a sort of social insanity. And then the third smelling salt talk is, that, and this is the big one, favoritism violates the law of love. We see it in verse 8 where he says, If you really keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Here God is giving us another reminder in his word through James of, of the main thing as we follow Christ. And there are several moments throughout scripture where, where he's just like, guys, the main thing, the main thing as we follow Christ is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and then that we live out that love by loving one another as we love ourselves um, Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40. Remember, Jesus summarizes the entire law. That, that's when he says the royal law here. He's talking about you can take the, the kingdom of God. What, what's the main law in the kingdom of God? It's love. Paul does it again in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, Romans 13, 8 to 10. But here's the thing. Th this love that, that we... And how do we love? How, how do we live out this love? It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. As we put our faith and trust in him, we're reborn with a new capacity to love as he loves. God gives us his love, and it flows from us. It's not something we, like, I'm going to suck it up and do this. It's his love flowing through us as we're obedient to him and we, and we uh, walk in step with him. But what is it about this love that's unique? Why is this, why is favoritism a flipping on its head of this love and this love diametrically opposed to favoritism. It's this, guys. The love of God, the agape love that, that God loves us with and we're called to love one another with is unique in this. It is not based on the worthiness of its subject. There is nothing th that moves this love to be active in pursuing the good of the one loved based on that one that's loved. That's what... To show favoritism is to value a person as worthy or unworthy, and it is diametrically opposed to the love of God. It is evil. And we don't think of it like that, but it, but it is. You cannot show favoritism and love, and love is the main thing. In fact, love is the mark of a Christ follower. First John, the, the message of that book is, do you want to know if you're truly born again? Are you loving? Therefore, if we look at favoritism and we say it's not a big deal, you have to ask, do I truly know Christ? It's that important. I, I struggled with this this week of why does James just keep going on and on and, and God lead him to this and then it hit me. Guys, favoritism is a sin that must 
die. We can't follow Christ and, and be okay with this. Back in verse 3, it says, You become judges with evil thoughts. What if the most evil thought we have is that of valuing and devaluing the people around us? It's a respectable sin, though, isn't it? We, it can just go unnoticed and tolerate it. And I pray today God would just convict us all where we need to be to kill it. To say, God, help me see as you see. Like Jesus, to, to see everyone as important. And I think this is why he goes on with, with what he says next, verse 10 and following. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it off. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So the point is, you know, with, even as we commit favor, favoritism, we're, it is a, a, a breach of the law. And then he just calls us to change. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can't miss God's passion to see us living a life that's free of favoritism here, can, can you? The, uh, again, I, I was struggling with, with why does he go, go after the judgment piece? so strong here, and it reminded me that uh, we will be judged by what? By the, the kingdom law, have we loved? You say, well, I thought when I'm saved, my sin is all forgiven, it's all been judged at the cross, and I'm accepted, and that is true. We, we cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose our reward, and there will be a judgment seat for those of us who are Christ, where we will either receive reward or not. And here what God is doing through his word is saying, guys, live your life in line with the law of love. And today, um, as he reveals areas that need to change, change, change. It's so important. The, uh, and so his calling today, simple challenge of the day, sweet sanity, like Jesus, to see everyone as important. And I pray as we receive God's word humbly today that we would that it would change us. It's neat to think that, that um, may we walk out of these doors, every one of us, a little more like Jesus as we set out to, uh, to see people as he sees them. What a gift God's given us in this text, the, the sweet sanity of it. As we reflect on this text, may it remind us of our need for the gospel today. I, I don't know if you felt that throughout this. But this week, I know I sure did. I am so in need of the grace of God today. I'm a sinner today and so thankful. And may it move us to confession, to repentance, seeking his forgiveness and, and where necessary, making it right. It's thinking as a pastor counseling in family situations, one of the most destructive sins in the context of family is favoritism. And it, it wounds deep when one child receives the uh, more love than another child. And, and if God is makes that a word to you in your context of your family. If you're a parent, may I encourage you just go to your kid and confess and, and uh, let them know their value and make that right. As we reflect on this text, may it grow in us a renewed appreciation for the way the Lord looks at us. And just uh, to bask in that sweet reality that when God sees you, when Jesus sees you, he sees you as important. He values you. He loves you. He delights in you. 
And he doesn't delight in our sin, and, and so we confess that. And, and, but when we come to Christ, he, we receive the righteousness of Christ. Our sin is gone in God's sight, and you are a dearly loved child that, that, uh, that he treasures. May this text, as we reflect on it, just grow in us a, a conviction and a, and a passion and a determination to see people this way and to be part of a community where we, we practice this together. And guys, I was thinking about the prayer where Jesus said, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is one of the ways that his kingdom comes in real time in our relationships, in our families at home, church family. And man, when we're out in our community and you're seeing people everyone as valuable and you're not playing the games that the world plays there's some draw in that i believe that's the draw that jesus had it's different (laughs) it's it's powerful isn't it beautiful as we reflect on this text may it move us also to learn from the people around us who are a step ahead and just go to school on them and let them be an encouragement to us i was thinking through our church family this week and and just seeing so many of you being examples in this area. First on my list is my wife, Tam. And her mom can testify from the time she was young, this is how she sees people. And I was sharing this text yesterday during our devotion time, and, and it was like hitting her hot button. She just got all fired up, and she starts preaching it back at me. And I'm like, babe, do you want to come up and, and just share your heart? <laughs> She's like, no. But I tell you, if you followed her around in her third grade class, this is what she does all day long, is just helping these kids see each other as valuable. In the playground, she's got them over here. Um, she encourages me, but who in your life would be an encouragement to, to live like this, live this out? And as we reflect on this text, may it leave us just putting some uh, gut check questions into our, our rhythms of like, okay, who's the outcast in my life? Who's the other? Who, who's the person that others, the groups, they're going to this, this person, but this person, the group is not. And who would Jesus be moving toward if he were living my life? No favoritism. Who would he be interacting with and moving towards? And, and hear him say, my child, follow me. It's awesome, isn't it? God's desire is that we see people in a radically different way in his kingdom the way he sees us. And so let's follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And coming through James, it feels like a a surgeon's scalpel at times. It cuts deep. And yet we know it's a a productive cut and a a cut that's meant ultimately to heal us. And so thank you for that. And just pray, Lord, that your word, the most powerful um, force there is, would, as it takes root in our hearts, it would transform us, change us, that we might live for your glory, and and be a blessing to the people around us as we interact this week, that we would see people as you see them as important. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.